Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Comedy Central. New York Fashion Week, the semi-annual event when designers show their collections to the world so fast fashion brands can decide which styles to rip off. But unlike wet subway seats, Fashion Week hasn't always been a New York institution. It's had a long walk down the runway to get where it is today. It all started in France in the 1600s, which might not surprise you, but back then, Paris was very much not known for fashion. The French were about as stylish as a croc wearing a fanny pack. At that time, Madrid was actually the fashion capital of the world. And thanks to their tiny tapas, they could actually fit into all the sample sizes. But everything changed for France when Louis XIV was, um, you know, kingified. Louis turned France into a major power, and he wanted the threads to show it. For him, fashion was essential to the monarchy's prestige. I mean, no one wants to be executed by a guy wearing cargo shorts. Louis' obsession built up France's fashion and textile industry and soon turned Paris into the world center of fashion, which by default made it the world center of cocaine and bitchy gossip as well. It was under Louis that France established the idea of showing fall designs in the spring and spring designs in the fall. So you can thank him for that trendy coat you're wearing in August. Ooh. Oh, who knew faux fur was so hot? France continued to dominate the fashion industry for centuries, until World War II, when Paris was under German occupation. This grinded their fashion influence to a halt, because A, no one could come to Paris to shop, and B, Coco Chanel was too busy banging Nazis to make any clothes. I know, terrible, right? But no matter how many times I remind them of this, the boutique still won't give me a discount on a classic flat bag. But Paris's defeat turned out to be a win for the American fashion industry. The U.S. seized on the opportunity to fill that gap quicker than a Forever 21 dress falls apart in the laundry. In 1943, America held the first Fashion Week, or as it was known then, Press Week. Started by a publicist, Eleanor Lambert, it launched the careers of designers like Hattie Carnegie, Norman Norell, and Claire McArdle, whose claim to fame was inventing sportswear. And by sportswear, I mean any casual clothing, not the athleisure that you wear even though your main exercise is getting a caramel frap in the Starbucks drive-thru. Three, four, five, oh, woo! Staying fit is tough. Before press week, magazines like Vogue and Harper's Bazaar were really all about European designers. They treated American designers the way they treated the Kardashians in 2010. They ignored them. But once press week started, they treated American fashion like, well, the Kardashians now. She said she'd eat poop to look good. Should I eat poop? No. 
York Fashion Week became such an institution that fashion capitals like Paris, London, and Milan soon added their own versions, and they continue pushing the fashion envelope to this day. You could only get away with severed heads in Milan. If that was on a New York runway, everyone would just assume it was another murder. As time passed, New York Fashion Week became home of so many seminal moments. Like in the 50s, when James Galanos popularized feminine glamour. Or Adolfo, who gained fame in the 60s for his emphasis on accessories. And in the 70s, Norma Kamali introduced the sleeping bag coat. Although, if you just wear your kid's sleeping bag, it looks almost as good. As styles changed, so did Fashion Week itself. In the 70s and 80s, it turned into a non-stop party. Shows were held at nightclubs and celebrities started attending. By the early 2000s, celebs had become a permanent mainstay. Sarah Jessica Parker, Paris Hilton, everyone was there. And that Hollywood glamour is still present to this day. But what was Larry David doing in the front row? He looked so miserable to be there, he should have been on the catwalk. Through the years, Fashion Week has had different homes in the city, from Bryant Park to Lincoln Center. But the most important place it's moved to in recent years is the same place you get all your porn, the internet. Shows started live streaming and designers began inviting bloggers and influencers to events. This all democratized fashion and made it more accessible to the public. Or at least that's what I tell my therapist when we're working through my online shopping addiction. I'm broke. New York Fashion Week hasn't just reflected the changing technology, it's also held a mirror up to society. From designers responding to the Me Too movement to the ongoing fight for more racial diversity on the runway. New York's been the site of progress for trans models, disabled models, and body positivity. Which is kind of the least the fashion industry could do after telling women not to eat for the last hundred years. So now you know everything about New York Fashion Week and how it came to be and how it's changing for the better. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have some poop to eat. Here we go. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Today is the official start of New York Fashion Week, or as New Yorkers call it, Thursday. For more, please welcome to the show our newest Daily Show correspondent, Dulce Sloan, everybody! What's going on, Dulce? Hey. Thanks, Trevor. Yes, it's Fashion Week. And while we'll see some new looks, some things will never change. For example, we know at least one model will fail at her only job, walking <laughs> down the runway. And that some designer's gonna try to sell us clothes they fished out of a dumpster. <laughs> but the thing mm, that gets the most attention every year is the cultural appropriation. That never goes out of style. Well, uh, Dulce, for people who don't know, can you explain what cultural appropriation is? Sure. It's when you take something that divines the culture that you're not a part of and profit off of it. The fashion industry does it all the time. They take from black culture, Native Americans, Asia, you name it. 
I mean, the models even appropriate their body dimensions from the aliens in Close Encounters. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, but Dulce, to be fair, not all instances of cultural appropriation are that extreme. Well, yeah, that's true. Not every person who listens to rap or wears a kimono or sings the chorus to Despacito <laughs> is trying to steal someone else's culture. Well, that's good to hear, because I, I love singing Despacito. <laughs> well, you can definitely sing it, because you know you look like a Puerto Rican. <laughs> Hola. <laughs> but sometimes it crosses the line. Like when you get movies about white boys saving jazz or Miley Cyrus twerking, ugh. <laughs> Hell, cultural appropriation is the only thing Taylor and Katie can agree on. Okay, okay, but, but some people look at some of these examples and they think, why the fuss? Because, Trevor, it's when white people discover something that used to be considered ghetto. For example, look at big butts. I always try to. <laughs> used to be considered undesirable. But since the Kardashians bought all of theirs, now everybody wants one. Ooh, and don't get me started on dreadlocks. When black people have them, they're discriminated against. They even get fired over it. But when white people have them, clothes fly off the racks. Look at this. Is this a fashion show or is she an avatar? Wait, wait, wait go, go back. Was that Kendall Jenner? Baby, it's always Kendall Jenner. Yeah, well, you know what, Dulce, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I hear you and this is interesting because for me it's weird. Where I come from, cultural appropriation isn't really a big deal, right? My, my family's always trying to get my white friends to wear African clothes. They don't view it as white people trying to steal our culture. They think they're embracing it. Mm-hmm, and that's the attitude they got my ancestors over here. These white men are trying to steal us, they're embracing us. Come on, come get on this boat. <laughs> okay, no, no, but wait, wait. But it's not, it's not just Africa. When Beyonce did that video where she dressed up like an Indian uh, goddess, right? People here were upset, but in India, a lot of people loved it. Okay, now Trevor, Beyonce is a bad example because she's a literal goddess, come on. <laughs> Forget culture, if Beyonce stole my identity, I wouldn't even press charges. I'd be like, thank you. <laughs> it's an honor, here's my pen number, Beyonce. <laughs> Look, Trevor, this is about equality. If minorities were equal, they wouldn't worry about people taking their culture because that wouldn't be all they have. Look, white people, if you're gonna appropriate, take everything. Take the good and the bad. You can take my struggle, too. Get pulled over for no reason, get followed through a store, and the next time there's a Black Lives Matter march, I wanna see you there, Kendall, but don't worry about bringing that Pepsi girl. We drink Sprite. <laughs> Tuesday Sloan, everybody. Oh, welcome to CP Time, the only show that's for the culture. Today, we'll be discussing black contributions to fashion. Normally, when we think about black fashion, we think about church hats so big, they block your view of Jesus. <laughs> or we think about those suits that Steve Harvey wears that haul all the buttons. Leave some buttons for the rest of us, Steve. They're keeping my clothes together with staples. But in actuality, the world of fashion has been filled with influential and iconic African-American designers. Like our first trailblazer, Zelda Wynn Valdez, who was one of the first designers whose clothing accentuated women's curves. Before her, women's fashion covered up their figures with big-ass skirts the size of a carnival cruise ship. <laughs> Women would get lost just bending over to tie their shoes. 
Zelda's curved flaunting designs were so popular that Hugh Hefner asked her to design the iconic outfit for the Playboy bunnies. I never went to the Playboy mansion myself because I was married and I also have a severe phobia of rabbits. You never know where rabbits are hiding. If you can pull one out of a hat, you can pull one out of anywhere. Kiss my ass, I don't want to be around that. Another black creator of couture is Stephen Burroughs. He rose to fashion prominence in the early 70s during the disco era. I was always confused by disco. I couldn't tell who was dancing and who was giving me directions. <laughs> but disco isn't just about the moves. It's about the fashion, which Stephen Burroughs helped shape. He hung out at Studio 54 and was popular among its celebrity regulars. He was the first to design clothes that were comfortable on the dance floor, even at 3 a.m., right when the cocaine hit so hard you thought you were the disco ball. <laughs> cocaine was better in the 70s. Burroughs also invented lettucing, which is when you make the material at the edge of a garment curve and ripple, like a piece of lettuce. I'll have to take his word for it, because I've never eaten a piece of lettuce. My favorite vegetable is caramel-covered popcorn. And finally, our last designer brings us to the modern day. Virgil Abloh, the first African-American artistic director at Louis Vuitton and driving force behind this decade's streetwear movement. He made high-end fashion take streetwear seriously. You know, fancy logos, t-shirts, chunky sneakers, hoodies, pretty much anything you're not supposed to wear to a funeral, unless you and the deceased had beef. Rest in peace, Spencer. Miss Jordan's are stepping on your grave. Now, don't be fooled by the term streetwear. One of Abloh's biggest companies, Off-White, sells sweatpants for over $300, and this luxury undershirt costs $200. Although I don't know why you would spend so much money on a shirt that ain't nobody gonna see. You know how much I paid for my underwear? Nothing. A six-pack of drawers fell off the back of a Walmart truck in 1987, and I never looked back. So the next time you zip your fly, and you're looking fly, remember the African-American fashion trailblazers who made you that blazer. Now, if you'd excuse me, I'm gonna make my first shirt. Retail price, $10,000. This old man has his debts. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I'm Roy Wood Jr. This has been CP Time. And remember, for the culture, make me some, oh, damn. Somebody give me a napkin, I'm bleeding on my fabric. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. My guest tonight is a fashion icon who pioneered high-end streetwear catering to gangsters, athletes, and musicians. His new memoir is called Dapper Dan, Made in Harlem. Please welcome Dapper Dan. (laughs) Welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here because I remember the first time I heard your name was in a rap song. I remember rappers would rap about being laced up by Dap Dapper Dan. You know, people would talk about these threads from Dapper Dan, styled by Dapper Dan. It was an idea and it was a myth. And now when people see you today, they go, the suits, they see you dressing people at the Met Gala, they think, oh, yeah, this man's a fashion designer, but you didn't start in the most normal place. You, you, you started making something out of nothing as a hustler. Yes, exactly. I started with nothing. I was like, um, you would probably say, you was born in crime. I was born in crime. Wow, <laughs> right. Yeah, and so I had, to, I had to adjust to life, so I used the tools that was available to me. When I wanted to open up a store, nobody would sell to me, so I said, you know what? I'm gonna figure out how to do this myself. I'm gonna learn how to make fabric and do everything that the big boys do and do it better than they do it. You really... Yeah, I mean, you really... You really did something that I don't think anybody thinks is possible. I don't think anyone has achieved in, in the same way that you've done it. For those who don't know, you know those, like, very fancy, um, Fendi, you know, outfits that you see? You know all these designer clothes where you see, like, all the, the labels everywhere on it, like Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton, or Fendi, 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 Fendi? That was... That was him. So a lot of people don't know this about Dapper Dan, but, but you came along and you created, a, a, like, a street version of what these high-end brands were creating. You made... Uh, your own version of Gucci, your own version of Fendi, your own version of all of these brands, which became bigger than the brands for many black people. Yeah, you know what I did? I, um, what they call me is the father of logomania. I looked at the brand, I looked at the, the brand, and I said, wow, everybody's excited about the logo, but Gucci is not making jackets. Fendi is not making jackets. None right. of these guys are making jackets and outfits. I said, wow, well, if they're excited with the bag, imagine if I can make them look like the luggage. You have now gotten to a place where you're no longer seen as an outsider, but rather a trendsetter. Yes. You work with these fashion houses. They've yeah. teamed up with you. For instance, you work with Gucci now, where they've said, Dapper Dan, we want to create with you. Yeah. In fact, you were part of the conversation when Gucci had um, that incident where they came out with those designs where people... Uh, there was backlash on social media. Yes, yes, you, yes, you yes, team, yes, why, yes. Why did you team up with them? Why did you, why did you work with Gucci when many people well, were saying... Well, you know what? I did, a, I did a lot of research even before I got into the partnership, and I researched, like, Alexandro, the uh, lead designer, and I researched Marco, the... Uh, CEO, and, yeah. and I know these men were genuine, so I said, what happened? I said, well, y'all, I don't know what happened. You know, if you, you shoot a guy by accident and you shoot him on purpose, he's dead. Right. So I told him, you have to come, you have to come to Harlem and we, we gotta fix this. You gotta explain to people what they did, and they came. You know, and so now we have the change maker program, whereby Gucci's gonna be putting money into different programs. We're gonna have inclusivity. We got vice presidents now of right. color. And so it's, it's a big program. It's the change makers program. So we're gonna make a change. And actually, what we're starting here with Gucci, we need to move that on to other brands. What do you think you wanna see change in the future in fashion, now that Dapper Dan has a name and clout? What I really would like to see is that, you know, culture is what moves fashion. And, you know, this hip-hop culture went global. Right. So if the culture can go global, why can't the representatives of the culture go global as well? So that's what I advocate for. I advocate for more people who make a contribution to the culture that enables these brands to make money to be inclusive today. Brand. Right. Make that money, man. It's an exciting book. An amazing life. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Explore more shows from The Daily Show podcast universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts.
Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.